or military veteran, entrepreneur, college professor, father of four, and your broadcasting host, Dr. Aaron Bryant. All right. Hello to all veterans, active duty members, family, and friends. Thank you for listening and or watching this episode of Dr. Bryant Speaks. Our show is about mental health and its impact to our victims, families, friends, and our military, and anyone that is associated. My name is Dr. Bryant. I am a certified master life coach and military veteran with U.S. Army Airborne Rangers. Now, in addition to a few more titles that in this case contribute to me having the capability of talking to you now, we are going to dive right into a great show. But if you're new to listening to this broadcast, I want to say welcome and thank you for tuning in. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. I hope you've been enjoying the show on YouTube or listening to any of them, your favorite radios or streaming podcast networks. Please continue and view the details on the website and all the social media pages titled Dr. Bryant Speaks. So let's talk about today's episode. Not too long ago, I interviewed a legislative expert and veteran, Stephanie, and I want to make sure I always pronounce it right because it is very important because you got to spell it right as you actually hear it, but it's Colada. And we discussed trauma, sexual trauma, and the Vanessa Gillian bill that is pending in Congress. Well, Stephanie is back and she brings guests that is also fighting to make a difference. Now, if you have not heard, a young man named Brandon Caserta. He was a Navy soldier that wanted to be a Navy SEAL. Fast forward, he died by suicide on June 25th of 2018 at the age of 21. Today, I have the, the parents of Brandon and Stephanie. So Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Caserta, I apologize to get emotional because this does impact me personally. So I, I get the stuttering and it's not because I don't know my craft. It's just that I find this a very emotional topic. So I might be the first to tear. So I want to make sure we put that out there now. <laughs> but I want to say uh, first, on behalf of my team here at Dr. Bryant Speaks, we are so, so very sorry for your loss and the trauma you and yourselves and your family has experienced. Thank you. It's been very hard the last two and a half years. Yeah, it, I, I can't, it, I imagine that you know, people always say time flies, but uh, maybe it's not really flying in your case because, you know, it's losing somebody in your life like that. It's like everywhere you turn, left or right, a small element of what's in the home reminds you. And so it's a continuous cycle. I mean, unless you actually lose a child, you can't possibly imagine. You want to have anything to say related to that? And it's, it's tough. I, we didn't know, we had no idea what people go through. Ironically, our family didn't have too many deaths as of yet. There's been, I mean, I've had great aunts and stuff like that die. And, but we moved away from the family realm, my, my family, excuse me, uh, when I was about seven or eight from Pennsylvania. And once I was disconnected, I only had my uncle here and my mom in Arizona. And of course, my grandfather was a big part of my life. And um, 
but we hadn't had too many deaths and the deaths we did have, they were, you know, they, they, our family had a habit of living a long time. So they were very older. So they lived a good life, we'll say. And, but what hits at home is I remember, I'm even embarrassed to say this, but it is the truth. The uh, OJ trial, Goldman, I remember that guy, he used to carry on on TV and the radio. And I'd sit there to myself and think, what's wrong with this guy? And, you know, but don't get me wrong. I understood he lost his son somewhat, (laughs) I guess. But come to haunt me later when we lost our son, I know exactly how he felt. And not only that, I can honestly tell you, I don't think he did enough. And I'm not criticizing. I'm saying is, oh, boy. Now I understand what that poor guy was going through. Yeah, I understand. Yes, I, I, uh, I lost my brother. Uh, he was thirty, and uh, he actually lost. He died in a coma from diabetes. And actually, he was at my house the day he passed away, right in front of my daughter. While my, uh, at the time, my wife was uh, at work. I was at work. And the interesting thing is, have my mother lose a child. Um, again, it's never something a parent wants to go through. So I, I, I'm still to this day watching the impact of my parents, specifically my mom, only because my dad tends to be, uh, his emotions are a little more, you know, covered up because that's just his personality. But I see the impact of how it is. So I, again, that's one of the reasons why I share in your uh, sorrow because I, un- I, I understand, but I can't imagine. So again, we want to. I want to express my deepest, deepest sympathies. Um, so this, uh, we can dive in. We're going to have a lot of questions for you, and I can. We could take this show as long as you want. But before we do that, I want to make sure, Stephanie, um, you brought them onto the show based on our previous conversations. Uh, can you share with the audience a little bit of your mindset or why you felt it was important for them to be here? Well. Um... First off, thank you, Terry, for reaching out to me. She reached out to me there, um, to through Facebook um, and saw my group and asked to be part of it and able to post things um, for Brandon and for the act. It's very important to me because I've also lost um, soldiers of mine that to suicide, hazing, um, and myself being hazed. I've gone through the entire process as well, and it's it's scary. I've been fortunate not to lose a close family member, yes, but losing a soldier of yours, of a subordinate, it's heartbreaking. And also a coworker to pass away is, it is very difficult. And there's so much more that we can do for the next person. So it doesn't happen again. And I do believe that the, the Brandon Act is important. Um, and it should hopefully, and um, in the next introduction, it would hopefully make a change. And I believe so. Absolutely. No, without question, we're going to, we're going to fight this as long as we can. Um, And we'll get into the elements before we do that. Let's talk about Brandon. I want to know a little bit more about Brandon. Um, I want to know a little bit about him as a son, as a person. Um, I mean, he's clearly somebody who had the courage to join the military. Uh, Why did he go into the military? Tell us a little bit about him, things that he was interested in growing up. And that led him to take that courageous step to get through basic and boot camp and all of that. He was, he was amazing. Um, he, 
always looked at things in a positive way. Um, he had a huge heart. Anybody that he saw, like, I'm gonna use this as an example, like in the lunchroom of school, if somebody was sitting by themselves, he would walk over there and introduce himself and, and sit and uh, eat with them. And it didn't matter race or anything. Uh, it, I don't want to say color didn't, Brandon didn't see color. He did see color. He, but he saw hurt. He saw loneliness in people. And he had a way about him to get these kids on a better level mentally. Um, he friended them. He, he literally loved life. He was, um, we got him in karate when he was four. And oh my gosh, he loved karate a lot of other sports too, but, but karate, I mentioned because they have these karate code words that um, his instructors instilled in Brandon and the karate code words are honor, respect, patience, and kindness. And Brandon lived those words, sorry, it's okay. every it's day. <laughs> every day. And if he acted up, all I had to say, or all we had to say was, are you living your karate code words? And if he said no, then he realized that he was not being the Brandon that he should be. And he was, he was also in swimming since he was four years old, ironically. So karate, swimming, many sports, um, he, uh, used to bring home <laughs> homeless people I, at his age and, um, he'd, uh, help special needs people. Uh, he enjoyed helping them out of nowhere. He'd go to their birthday parties, um, things of that nature. He, uh, he just liked people. It, it was a strange element to me, meaning cause I was active duty military um, for some of his life. And he, uh, he just liked people. He liked being around them. He liked people. He didn't understand why people didn't like him. He never really talked about it. He just seemed to go elsewhere, you know, kind of like, well, you don't like me. There's all these others that no will. Deal. Yeah. And one thing about Brandon, he had a smile that made you want to smile. And he always had love shining in his eyes. He just was that way. And he, you know, imagine this, and I mean this, you, you know, he never, I kid you not, uh, up to when he went in the military, and I can even say when we saw him after that, he, he never cussed in front of us. Don't get me wrong. We read texts and things like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he got the sailor's mouth, no doubt, but he, uh, in front of us, he, he never did. I can't even say that. And I was pretty good um but I wasn't <laughs> perfect he was um, he was and he excelled in karate he, he became a black belt he excelled in uh swimming he uh um did it till the day he left he was um really good at swimming and really good at karate 
Um, he, uh, Brandon was a really skinny kid too, very skinny and he had long, it was unique. He had long arms and long legs that gave him an advantage somewhat, especially in karate. And um, he just, uh, I don't know, it was a joy to be around. And what was amazing about him is, you know, I'd go, we'd go together. Sometimes we'd have to go alone, but every teacher parents conference we've ever gone to, um, they always said how much they liked him. They'd always say, first, I want to tell you this great kid. And I, I don't think that was a standard line they were doing. Well, I'd been standing there when they were doing people before me. So um, he just had a way with, and he was good. He listened and he was good. And he truly was. Never been in trouble his whole life. And take it a step further, he, two of his best friends, um, he met them before he joined the military Why it was, say they were in training to become SEALs someday. Um, them two, unfortunately, didn't make it uh, to the military, but they both became Phoenix police officers. And this is before Brandon died. And, you know, to be a police officer, obviously you know what they put you through. So you can see the kind of friends he kept around him too. And um, he just... Like I said, he wanted to enjoy life. I, I, I was always envious of him in that way, meaning that, you know, I was in the military. I was used to being beat down and criticized and you name it. And as I moved up in rank, it didn't change too much. It was, uh, I, I didn't like what I was seeing. I could say that. And I can honestly tell you, I'll tell you now, I was in Navy recruiting for 15 years and here in Phoenix for a lot of it. And I told everybody, they used to laugh. I said, I'd never let my son join the military. And I meant it. And his college was paid for, meaning we could pay for anywhere that he could get into. But on top of that, it, uh, he um, could have gone anywhere he wanted to. He just out of nowhere decided one day he wanted to join the military and he wanted to be a SEAL. And that kind of came from, he wanted to be a police officer. He wanted to in order to go SWAT someday, obviously, I think everyone knows in order to go SWAT, you have to try out what Brandon found out in his research was if you were prior military, you had actually a better chance of getting on SWAT someday um, and breezing through police officer screenings and everything a little better preference there. So he had mastermind that part and they really wanted to be a SEAL and I was against it. But the flip side of it is I seen it all in recruiting, trust me, and uh, stopping him from joining was not going to benefit us one bit. Our best bet was to support him. We went out, we bought him everything he needed, the fins, the actual seal mask, all the equipment he wanted to train to become a seal. And he took it to heart. He used it. He uh, did very, very well on the uh, test to um, get a seal contract. And it was even funny because the recruiters didn't want to give him a SEAL contract. And I told him it's the only way he's joining. And they ignored the fact that I was in recruiting for 15 years and all that and here in Phoenix. And uh, they were putting a, a wall there. And I'm like, he's not joining unless he gets the SEAL contract. And they go, well, he has to pass the test. And I started laughing. Okay, well, then we'll take the test. And um, sure enough, he passed it the first time. A lot of people don't. He did. Don't get me wrong. He didn't get the best score ever, but he did very well. And so what was funny is uh, they didn't want to give him the contract. Then they started telling their 
bosses. And ironically, turns out I worked with some of them. They knew who I was and they told them, you got to give them a seal gun. <laughs> you don't have a choice. And where it got strange, I'll, I'll end with this is with Brandon. I remember in recruiting, I've had thousands of people come in saying they want to be a SEAL. Some of them were puny guys. Some of them were built, physically fit. Um, there really was no mold for it. It's just that 0.000001% of the population makes it through. And to even get a contract, you could put it at 0.01%. And, um, but I supported them. You know, you want to be a SEAL, fine. I do my part in recruiting and kind of just in the back of my mind, I wonder, I never say they won't make it. I just wonder, you know, hey, maybe I just recruited a SEAL, you know. And in Brandon's case, where it got strange was the recruiters, um, we, we went to one of his workouts and the uh, SEAL, they have an actual SEAL at the time. I don't know what they still do, but then they did that conducts the testing and they did it twice a week. Um, for the whole time. And so he joined in May, actually started going before that, but in May, when he joined, he went to training, I think it was three times a week. They had to wake up like at four in the morning and go. And they ran, they conducted the SEAL test every time. That's what they trained on. And we're sitting there and the SEAL started laughing. It was, um, he'd already done the swim and the other stuff in between. It was the run and the runs, the final part of it. And he's looking at his watch and it was in the seven, hit seven minutes. And he started laughing. So Brandon will be coming around the corner in a second now. And sure enough, there's Brandon smiling away. It comes around the corner and he finished. And he turns right around and goes back and goes and encourages every one of them, helps them all across the finish line. And so that was the first time we had witnessed that. Don't get me wrong. Brandon's always been a team player based upon karate and everything, but that was unique. And what I funny is, so we're at, so a couple of months later, we take him to a meeting for the recruiting station before he was leaving. And it was like 120 out. We were in the car waiting for him and they knock at the window, the recruiters, and they wanted to talk to us and they told us they were sorry about the SEAL contract thing, but more importantly, they told us they really felt he had a good chance of making it through because of his teamwork that they witnessed. They had witnessed that all the time. And I, I thought that kind of says Brandon to a T how he was. He was, um, it wasn't just about him. It was about everybody and truly the best SEALs when they make it through all the training they go through, it's the teams that prevail and do all the missions and it's because of the team that they accomplished that it's not one individual of course they learn all this later brandon kind of had the trade early on exactly exactly you know i'm, I'm listening to this and i'm hearing myself because everything you just said is my story as well i was in karate i have two black belts I love swimming. I'm a, I used to call myself the A for Aaron. Used to be Aquaman. I mean, my dad was in the military, so he. I was watching my dad in the army, so that's why I went in the army. Uh, I'm hearing like I'm like, oh my goodness, this is literally. I'm understanding the path, and I also understand his purpose because we. My mother's is um, 
used to be in social work and she became a therapist. So that gene of helping people is in me. So I understand. So that compassion towards people. So he's literally, I'm hearing that he's got elements of you. I mean, he's watching both of you. He's seeing that. And that is what made him who he is. That's an amazing person. And I find it interesting that you said adults would recognize how great of a kid he is. And then I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, when he's in the military, what happened? And only thing I could imagine was the jealousy that existed or the people who just couldn't recognize the beauty in him because they didn't have the beauty inside them. Because if and you're a recruiter, so for you to understand, like sometimes people go in the military for the wrong reasons. And it doesn't mean they always have the best things in place. And this is probably why sometimes you didn't feel comfortable being a recruiter because you see some kids who probably shouldn't be representing our country. So those individuals unfortunately get through and then they create this hostile environment. So I don't wanna go and preach, but I would love to try to hopefully part of this whole thing we're doing would also give the military um, a, a, some sort of recognition to identifying the type of people they're allowing to come through. You know, I don't know if it starts with recruiting or if it's through basic or whatever, but we got to start looking at these individuals. I mean, Stephanie, you um, you know, like we've had issues with gang members in the military. Um, we've identified all these different elements. How we, I know we can't really say no to our US citizens, but how do we balance that to be able to try to weed out those who don't represent the type of soldiers we want in the military? Well, it is also very difficult that you're also trying to meet a quota because they found that for the military, there's only so few of youth that could actually meet the requirements nowadays. And But to me, to find pretty much the best person all around would be a psychological test. Few people would actually be able to cheat it. I mean, sociopaths most likely, but they might not be able to. They, if you write a social... Uh, a, sorry, psychological test for that type of thing, you can find out who is actually truly altruistic and sincere, kind, and all the different personality traits that you need to be an ideal service member. Well, I mean, they do it, you know, they do it in the military, I mean, law enforcement, mm -hmm. they do it for all the other government jobs. So, I mean, this is a government job. Now I get that, you know, I remember when I applied for the academy, I remember that, you know, these things are not cheap. My mom, like I said, she's a therapist. And I remember she would bring home a little packet and she would ask us to complete this little personality thing. And she would tell us, this is normally cost X, Y, Z. This is not cheap, but we're gonna, I'm just curious. So my point in saying all that is, you know, I think we need to take that extra step because it may not be cheap to do that personality or psychological background, but is it more expensive to have to deal with it on the after effect or the consequences of somebody's life because you have the wrong person in the military and creates this hostile environment and the virus that it'll actually, um, you know, create throughout a unit. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, which is the better of the two evils? But I will, I will stand, I'll stand down. <laughs> Well, not that this would surprise you, but Brandon, he took one of those to be a SEAL. You, you had to take it ahead of time. It's one of the few jobs that you actually had to take one. So the Navy did give him one. He passed it. And while he was in SEAL training, for, um, they gave him several in there. Um, and he passed all of them. 
Um, and he, you know, one thing I'll say early on now before I forget, Brandon had a shield of armor that I can't even explain to you. It's, that's where his story as we go on, you will see the, it, it's very unique. But again, as uh, you're already alluding, we already know based upon talking already that toxic abuse of leadership and abuse of power, they have a power of their own too. Yeah. And, uh, but he had a shield. I, I wish I had, I, I was not like that. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I could do high stress, like nothing, but in Brandon's case, he just had it all in, in particular, uh, he, just the way he handled things. He knew how to avoid conflict and he knew how to stay away from issues. It's like he knew ahead of time, like he could see them before they kind of happened somewhat. So it, uh, but yes, he, he did do that testing. They have some, when you join only on certain jobs, very few, right. they do certain have jobs. Absolutely. They do have it. Yeah. So they had it in certain jobs, like I for Rangers, same thing but it's to protect that specific unit versus who are we getting in the military? And, but I agree. And to be, you said he did his due diligence to uh, understand how to become a SEAL. So he was prepared. He sounded like he knew what he was walking into and he was prepared to serve our country and do what he needed to do. So let's, um, for the audience, uh, quickly explain what happened when his, uh, with the situation with the SEALs and how he was not able to continue forward uh, related to the injury. And then he ends up at his unit. Uh, can you give us a quick summary about that circumstance? Okay, well, he went, obviously he went to pre-buds and passed. So then he goes, then he went to Coronado. Step in if I missed something. Um, to do the actual SEAL training, um, probably in like week week two, he started having um, leg pain. And he at first thought it was just shin splints. Of course, you, as active as Brandon was, he knew what shin splints were. So uh, at the onset, that's what he thought it was. Well, it kept getting worse day by day. So he finally was able to go to medical and all they did, and he did ask for um, an x-ray, but they told him no, that it's just severe shin splints and to you know go back to training. So he did, of course. Um, and then it just kept getting worse and worse. How many times did he go? He went again. Uh, he go went ahead. again. And of course, again, he was denied x-rays. So I can't remember the exact day they were during training. Um, this is in his third week of training. Uh, I believe he was two weeks from hell week is what they call it. Um, he, they were doing boats on head and apparently he tried to get somebody to switch with him because he knew his leg couldn't take much more, but nobody would switch. Cause once you get a good spot, you want to stay in. So, um, he fell, but he got back up and ran under the boat again and he fell again. And this time he passed out. Well, what they did is they picked him up and threw him in the back of a pickup truck 
and took him to the, the famous bell. And he woke up in the pickup truck and uh, he argued, he argued with the uh, seal trainer at the bell telling him, I need medical. I'm not ringing this bell. And apparently he argued with him for 10 to 15 minutes. And the instructor is the one that rang the bell for Brandon. And um, that is against regulations. The, the trainee is supposed to ring the bell when he taps out. All he needed was to go to medical. And, um, but they, they didn't allow him to. So they transferred him immediately. And when he got to 32nd Street, Patrick told him he needs to go to the doctor and get an x-ray. Well, he did go to the doctor and the doctor uh, told him he reluctantly would give him an x-ray, but not to expect anything. So he got the x-ray, he let Brandon leave. And uh, within what, half hour to an hour, he, he calls Brandon and tells him that he has a broken tibia in two places and he needs to come back. So that's how he... Yeah, um, and uh, not making it through and they never let him or took him to medical which is another strange yeah. thing now right. I want to point something out everybody can look this up um, two hours after Brandon collapsed is when if everybody knows the name or not Loveless was drowned and it was ruled a homicide in the pool we believe it was those same people that rang the bell for Brandon. Brandon said he would have been in the pool with him. He knew Loveless. And um, he, uh, so everything changed after that with SEALs, actually for the better. Uh, some will probably say it's not as hard and all that. I, I, I don't know. I'm just telling you that some of it changed. Uh, but it, he did die that day, ironically. And when I found out about that in particular, because everybody always asks this question, so I'll answer it now. Why, why didn't you go back and get him back in the seals? Well, we drove out there. We were already on our way there um, to go out there before we went to the doctor because we were in Phoenix. San Diego's not far. And when I saw Brandon, I talked to him and I said, hey, well, I'll, we'll go right to Coronado right now. I'll get you right back in there. I guarantee it. And he paused and he looked at me and he told me, he said, dad, there is no doubt in my mind that you will get me back in the SEAL training based upon course of events. I have a broken leg. It's self-explanatory. Loveless died. You'll get me back in. But he said, they will never, ever let me through. I will never make it through if you do this. I, if I go back, I need to go back on my own, do the two years and go back. And that was Brandon's plan at the time to go back in two years. That's basically military rules on that. And there's no guarantee, but that is the rules. So that's why I didn't go to the command because I, I would have had him back in with the click of my fingers. I guarantee it. In particular, the broken leg, they would have been not only embarrassed, they, they wouldn't know what to say. But uh, ironically, I believe the people that drowned Loveless are the ones that rang the bell for Brandon. I don't have evidence. I'm just telling you, it, it just fits the MO of course of events two hours later. Right. And the other part about it was Brandon didn't really even know these two. It's not that he knew everybody, but these two seem to be strangers to him. And that, that's even more about why Loveless died was that 
usual people that were there um, or that people in charge were kind of in the background when Loveless was being messed with. So again, I have no evidence. I'm just telling you a course of events, but that's why he didn't go back. Now, Brandon knew before he left, he was at the mercy of the Navy. If he didn't make it through the SEALs, he was okay with it, at least so he told me. And um, all his friends, there was about 25 of them here training before they left for SEALs. They all had SEAL contracts. They all left at different times and none of them made it through. Ironically, a lot of them left before Brandon and I had already been helping them. I briefed all of them that they're at the mercy of the Navy. They fully understood that. Again, at least they told me that. As they failed out, they called me because there's a process that's called reclassification. Mm -hmm. That's where they give you a different job. And Brandon had every one of them call me. I talked to him. I said, when you're going through that, I'll, I'll help you. I was, I'm a Navy counselor. And so they would call me. And I, I'll never forget the first one. And this never changed to include Brandon, what I'm about to tell you. Uh, he is, um, so the guy's there. They give him three choices that came up in the computer based upon his score, based upon more on availability than score. Mm-hmm. And they'd ask me what these jobs are on the phone. And I'd be telling them and explaining each one. I ain't here in the background. The rules were you had 30 minutes to pick one of those three or they'd pick one for you. And I can hear them in the background saying, you got 10 minutes left, you got five minutes left. And then, like I said, this included Brandon, them knowing I was retired military, they could care less. And so I was not happy with that at all. But again, I didn't know nothing I could do. I'm just telling you what happened. Some of them got good jobs. When I say that, something that they were interested, most of them did not. And the reason I brought that up is, um, Stephanie will relate to this, is in Brandon's letter, he talks about that process in his letter. And his point is, had I gotten something that I was interested in, instead of being forced to take something, I would never have gone to this toxic abuse of command. I would have never been put in this situation. That is what he's saying. Um, ironically, hopefully I'm not jumping the gun here, but um, when we went to DC, we met with Senator Kane in person and Senator Kane had either his son or somebody related to him, went through SEAL training and the same thing happened to them. He was very familiar with the process and he wanted to change it. So they inquired and they got correspondence back that it was trained changed it was on a pilot program and we believe that pilot program stayed because there are comments if you do deep searches that say they joke around and say there should be a bronze statue of brandon outside the naval base because their lives changed when they didn't make it through seals they got things that they were interested in instead of having to pick things they didn't want to do and so um but anyway that 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 was the significance of all that, just so you know. Okay, so I want to definitely get back to that because that I want to have a question related to him picking his job. Uh, obviously, he became an air crew aviation electrician, but I, um, I, you know, when you talked about the modification of the training as a ranger, we had something similar. We had a lieutenant die in training. We have different phases in our ranger school. And they've modified it as well. So, you know, the military, I'm recognizing, I'm hearing a pattern of adaptation based on extreme circumstances. So definitely not surprised to hear that because we also, 
those of us who went to Ranger school before they changed it downplayed the Rangers coming back with the easier and modified training. And so there's a bit of a stigma that exists there too. So I can definitely understand the mentality behind that. Um, real quick, you talked about the 10 minutes and I know we're gonna really deep dive into this later because we're gonna talk about the impact of Brandon, but as a recruiter, um, I know that when you take the ASVAB and you're picking the job and it's based on demand with the military, is it possible, and I'm asking this purely as a question, when they are pressuring them to pick something in the 10 minutes, I think you said, is it possible because that based on the DOD, the, the amount of jobs available are constantly changing? Is that possibly a reason? And Stephanie, I don't know if that's something you can answer or Mr. It, is, it is. Okay. They, it's based upon availability. When I say that, it's the snapshot for that day. Okay, ah. so that means they could get him out of there the next day or the next day, and he could convene in that class Monday. Gotcha. And it's based upon availability, but it's also based upon needs of the Navy. That's where the problem lies right there, because all the jobs that a lot of people didn't want to do, yes. they're forced to do. And these guys, just to point out, Brandon had a 76 uh, as I've scored of 99. It's really good. Not the best score, meaning the best, but very good. He qualified for most anything. All of them had scores like that. It was not just him. They had to have high scores to get seals. Right, right. And so they all qualified for almost anything in the Navy, with the exception of probably the nuclear program. In Brandon's case, because of his record of zero, nothing ever, He'd qualify for everything but the nuclear program, probably. Um, and even the nuclear program, he might have actually qualified. He'd still have to take these tests. I don't know that he would have passed those, but I'm just telling you that he might have actually been eligible to take the test. Okay. And, but it's the needs of the Navy. And that's where the problem is because they should have started anew. And when I say this, they should have started like they were joining again, or they should have been let out. Now, in Brandon's case, I have to point something unique out, and I have to tell you what I'm about to tell you kind of went over my head, but it didn't, but it did. Brandon had a broken leg. True. Brandon, they got him out of there within days with a broken, they transferred him to Pensacola, Florida with a broken leg to school, just so you know, and it'll come up later why that was so significant. But even at the time, he should have just been let out. True. Or he heals and then he gets a job. And in theory, he could go weekly to these weekly uh, availabilities and pick when he sees something he wants. And because he would belong to that unit, it's a waiting orders, basically what it's called. He would have belonged to them. And so he transferred with that. But in recruiting the, the hit at home, here's another problem. There was a time on recruiting and this is before I was there, but in particular, why I was there. I was at the national headquarters for recruiting in Tennessee for 18 months. And they used, that's where they give the jobs for people joining. Okay. And they're getting them from the same spot that that 10 minute thing I talked about. Okay. And the only difference is they have a smorgasbord versus a limited stuff because they can put somebody out for months where in this case, these people are trying to get people out of there within a day. And that, and that's where the difference lied. Well, there was a time we were missing goals so badly. 
And it's all based on ship goal. Nobody knows that. Everybody thinks it's gold. The monthly goal is very important. I mean, you miss it a couple of months, they'll get rid of you, trust me. But it, it, it's really the shipping goal that determines the goal. And so we were giving people whatever they wanted and they would wait. The longest you could wait is a year. We were putting them out longer than that. Not only were we giving them whatever they wanted that they were qualified for, they would sit at the place. So we'll use brand example. They go to Pensacola and they'd be there three or four months before their school would start in order to make gold. So they have the ability to do it. And remember, these people are their own. They're in already. They're the top people in theory. And they're, um, these people should be taken care of like that. So in other words, if you had to send them somewhere waiting a couple months to start school, then so be it. They at least deserve that. They've earned that. And they could have done that. But I'm telling you, I witnessed them one could call cheating the system, uh, but it's just a matter of bending the rules to how they want to use them. It's really not cheating. And in this case, they didn't go that extra mile and it created a lot of this stuff because um, another thing I'll bring up later with one of Brandon's friends that didn't make it through who ended up getting the worst job you could get. And I was on the phone with that poor kid and it was nothing we could do. Um, Ultimately, uh, something ended up happening that is significant in Brandon's story. Stephanie will relate to it real well when it comes up, but it, it's, we'll flash forward to that shortly, but it's significant. And there were others like that too. Okay. Well, let's, let's go ahead and jump into Brandon being uh, an air crew aviation electrician. Um, I honestly have no idea what that means, but you know, that it, it actually answers one of my thoughts is when you're picking a job, sometimes what you think it is, is not always the definition of what truly is going to be. Um, I used to have a nonprofit years ago, Armed Services Alliance program, and it was designed to assist young uh, youth and young adults who wanted to go into the military. And the nonprofit was to prepare them. So similar to what Brandon already did on his own, we would help them with understanding finance because I saw a lot of young soldiers had no clue. They didn't have a checking account. And I saw them getting disciplined in the military because they would go to the BX and PX and blow their little credit up through the window. Then they get reprimanded by the CO. Let's teach them how to do finances. We had did family training because a lot of them are young uh, parents or young uh, spouses and having to take care of a dependent. We did physical fitness and a few other, and also preparation for the ASVAB. So a nonprofit, I get it because one of the biggest challenges is when they go in there, they take the ASVAB, they spit out all the, you know, all the different options of jobs in the MOS. A lot of the, you know, titles was not what they actually thought. And one of my favorites is petroleum specialist. Now I, you know, I don't know if there's any difference between military and Navy and Air Force, but when you think of petroleum specialist, I'm thinking, oh, wow, I have an opportunity where I can go work for Chevron or Exxon and make $300,000 later, but you're actually pumping gas on the side of the road for the diesels coming through. So that's not what a soldier is thinking or is aware of. And so I could imagine that, you know, they're pushing these jobs in their faces and you probably end up selecting something that you really didn't quite know. And here's Brandon now in this environment where he's actually quoted, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I will say what I read is that he felt alone, stuck and afraid of retaliation. He was unhappy, he felt hopeless, 
And, you know, so with all of that, you know, the personal setbacks and the daily abuse from his superiors, um, talk about that. Give the audience an understanding of a little bit about what you were able to find out and what he was going through. Because now he was, his dream has exploded. He's, in his mind, I'm thinking he's probably saying two years from now he'll go back. But in the meanwhile, he's got to tolerate this. What is he going through? Like, what is it? What is your best ability to describe? What is he actually dealing with there? Well, constant bullying and hazing. He, uh, well, first of all, the air crewman part, take that to the side. He was an aviation electrician. Air crewman comes into play later. I know you read that, but that, I don't, that don't tie those two together. Got it. It was for helos though. What was unique about Brandon is he actually went to advanced training. So we call them C schools. He went to that in Norfolk, Virginia um, for several months. That's very important because that you're, you become a specialist when you go through that. You're more advanced trained on top of it. But he went through a long school in Pensacola too. And what was unique about the rating Brandon got into, there's two sides of it. There's electronics part and electricians part. Well, in aviation, they work together. So they each learned each other's jobs basically on the job. Now I have to put this into the, can't believe I'm going to defend the Navy, but um, your petroleum expert in the Navy, there is one uniqueness. We don't have that, but you become a jack of all trades in the, in the Navy to, when you work in your job. Okay. That'll become important later on. But When you work in your job, you become a jack of all trades. And when I say this, it's unlike the other services. You have all these other things you have to do. I'll use me as an example. I was a gunner's mate missiles on the surface. That doesn't sound like, you know, anything, but I, I, I learned electronics. I, I did what each electronic technicians did. I had hydraulics. I had to learn. I had sprinkler systems. So I was a plumber weld. I had to learn all these different things and I learned them on the job. A lot of it. I did go through a lot of schooling too, but my point is that I learned all these different things. So when I actually finally came, when I retired, I want to apply for a job. I could tell you without exaggerating to you that there was very few jobs out there that I couldn't apply for because I had touched so much stuff, whether I wanted to or not too. I can honestly say that, uh, I mean, I even planted trees when I was on the base uh, early on. I I mean, there's just all these things I did. So in the Navy, you kind of are a jack of all trades. Okay. Um, But with Brandon, he went there and there was some uniqueness that started happening. Now, he he met, he, he didn't check into his command, but he did, but he didn't. He wasn't officially checked in. He went to his new command, HSC 28, and... He was there for a couple of days and they didn't treat him very well at all. And he was going to school though. And so he was to go to school for two or three months and then he comes back and actually checks into the committee. So he didn't like them to begin with. When I say that, he was just describing what I I never heard of. Don't get me wrong. I've used the terminology, everybody hates me. I've said that before, but I didn't mean it in the contents where it was close to 100%. Uh, but I have said that before. And in his case, kind of, come on, Brandon, everybody don't dislike you or anything. Well, when he finally checked in immediately, they started calling him a Bud's Dud. 
okay, that's somebody that doesn't make it through SEAL training. It's unheard of. SEALs to me, when I was on active duty, they were kind of a breed above. When I say that, meaning they drew natural respect for physical fitness. But the fact is that you know that they had to have a high score and that they're good people just like anybody else, just because they didn't make it through. Now, there's a small problem that they have to defend is they joined the Navy to become or the chance to become a SEAL. Unfortunately, they didn't succeed. So now they're stuck. So that karma is there. They're not too happy about that, but they function and they do well. And a lot of them have gone back and made it through. Some have gone back and not made it through. Some have gone back several times and not made it through and made it through. It all depends on what they want to do, but they have a lot of doors open for them. In Brandon's case, he did, and that'll come up. That's where Eric crewman comes in. But Got it. In Brandon's case, in his command, one of the things I noticed from articles in there, and uh, I get so livid when I read it, you've read it, is they classify Brandon as a, what is he, aviation electrician striker. Um, The command planted that in terminology, and I'll tell you why. A striker is somebody that, that we have, we have three programs called seamen, airmen, and firemen, and they go in those programs and they're not easy programs. <laughs> and they're the program nobody wants to do. And for two years, two to three years, it's really hard for them. And I, I wouldn't want to be, I'm glad I didn't go through that program. I'll word it to you that way from what I witnessed. But the bottom line is those people are called strikers because they are, don't have a designated job yet. Brandon was a rated Airman. He went through Pensacola school, but he also went to advanced training. Okay. He's not a striker. Never was a striker. Got it. If he wouldn't have made it through school, he could have been considered a striker, but he did make it through school. So the command planted that. And here's the reason. When he checked into command immediately, they had him, I'm not lying to you, selling candy. You could call it a snack bar if you choose to. I sell it. I, I call selling candy. They have Brandon selling candy. That is what he did for literally most of the time he was there. He was there over two years and he sold candy. Why did they have him selling candy? Well, that's a good question because uh, I will tell you this. You, you think those stories from the 70s and 80s and early 90s about the Navy paying $500 for a toilet seat or a hammer are funny? Let me tell you, this puts those to shame because I know from recruiting, it costs $100,000 a year for every one, two, or three. That's what it costs the taxpayers. They don't make $100,000. I'm just saying with all the training and everything. Brandon School costs $350,000 alone. So they have, we're paying somebody hundred grand to sell candy. Well, there's not one of them. There's four of them. So $400,000 a year. There are 13 Hilo squadrons in Norfolk, Virginia. Take that times 13, but take it a step further. Every aviation squadron in the world does this. Every one of them. There could be two, 300. Now times that, that's how much money is being wasted. That's what vending machines are for. Now they'll come up with every excuse in the book why they have this. Here's the problem with Brandon. Brandon was a rated airman. He should have never been put there. They're going to, they tell you everybody does. The CEO said this in writing. Everybody does it. Well, I specifically asked 
the inspector general's office to give me the dates the CO sold the candy. I was serious too. I know it's funny. I'm serious. He said, everybody, everybody's everybody. And that is untrue. Everybody is not sell candy. Okay. Some do, some don't. It's mostly people that are non-rated airmen that sell the candy. That's bad too. You're supposed to do it for a maximum of 90 days. And that's their own rule. This is not regulation or anything. Right. Brandon did it for almost the whole time he was there. Um, and they just left him there to do that. He never, up to the day he died, he never worked one second in his rating. That is unheard of. Not one second. In, he was never an electrician for one second. Yet all the, a lot of the others were, he was not. And to take it a step further, this is ironic. Again, this is rare. But when Brandon was in basic training, he went through a special, they called it a SEAL basic training. All those people were special warfare, not necessarily SEAL, but there's five ratings in special warfare. Well, just so happened that one of the people in his basic training went to the next step of SEALs with Brandon. He went to the next step, next step, ended up in Coronado with Brandon, went through SEAL training with Brandon. Brandon made it to week three. He, this guy didn't make it that far. So he transferred. He went to Pensacola. Ironically, Brandon ended up in Pensacola in the same exact class this guy was in. Same school, same class. Take it a step further. Ironically, they got same orders to the same command in Norfolk, Virginia. The difference was after school, um, Brandon took leave. This guy was married. He didn't take leave. He went to Norfolk, Virginia right away. He checked in a day before Brandon. He went right to his shop. That's where you're an electrician. They put him in there. Brandon checks in the next day. They put him in candy. That, that is so unfair, but that is a fact. Not only did that guy not go to candy, he went on to excel. He's a top sailor in their command and he never sold candy ever. And Brandon was the same as him. Now, that guy was a little older than Brandon. Again, he was married, but that has no difference right. in the mil- as far as the military is concerned. And it, it, uh, it, it just breaks my heart to tell you that. The other thing is Brandon, this is where that uniqueness of his childhood we told you about comes in. They love Brandon selling candy. Brandon was the best candy seller there ever was. The reason yeah. being is... They'd send him to Sam's Club. Somebody had to drive him with the credit card of somebody that hadn't been in the command for four years, illegal again. Um, and he'd buy all kinds of candy, but he knew what people wanted. He'd listen to them. He'd get what they wanted. So he'd buy what they wanted, come back and sell it. Well, they loved him. And then he was smiling all the time. I told you, he got that love shining in his eyes. And he was good. He was running the place and he was only he took pride in what he did, regardless of what he did. You he got it. And they put on his eval said word for word. You could read them. They're posted. He was the hardest, best worker in their command. That's their words, not mine. That's their right. words. And it wasn't you know, just off the candy. I, I can imagine this is wearing on him. He might uh, on the external or the exterior. He's showing smiles because He's not giving up. He's uh, making the best of the situation. But internally, he's probably being eaten up inside because there's levels of, you know, possibility. I don't know him personally, but for me, I would feel embarrassed. I would have a lot of anger. I would have all this internal stuff eaten up inside because you got to remember, 
I'm a black belt. I'm a swimmer. I outrun all of those guys. I was in Navy, you know, SEAL school, and I would have graduated if they just let me get my leg fixed. So all of this, he knows. He knows his capability. He knows his skill sets and what he's capable of. And yet here he is doing that. And, but he's not going to express that out in the open. So I want to talk about the Brandon Act, you know, because it's from what I understand, it's a pathway to, for service members to seek the mental health evaluations uh, without disclosing it to their command. So talk a little bit about the Brandon Act and why that was so important, because you crafted this a certain way that I found unique. Yeah, it, it um, first and foremost gives them a safe word to use. Right. Um, so that they don't have to disclose why they're seeking mental health. Um, the more we thought about it, it, it it's a HIPAA violation um, that can get that can leak out. Okay, so you trust somebody and tell them why. Well, that someone can tell someone else, and that is what needs to be avoided. Right. So first and foremost, that is why it's a safe word for them to use. Um, right. And it, it does get them the help they need when they need it. Yeah. Um, so the act I know is based on active duty military. Um, Brandon's yeah. experience during his time in service specifically. So that's one of the things I really like. Um, Stephanie, I know a lot of times we have had conversations and a lot of the things you're doing is post-military. Stephanie, can you talk a little bit about the difference and the importance because we got active duty versus post. Is there correlation? Is there not? Is there important to keep them separate? What are the logistics or the some of the legislative impacts pertaining to the two? Okay, so for this one, it it could also be applicable for the reserves as well, especially okay. if they're on deployment or on active duty orders. Um, it could also be applicable just on the regular duty weekends. National Guard, it would not hopefully would not possibly will not be applicable towards them because it would also depend on how the state would take it. So you would have to go state by state with that one. Um, yeah, uh, National Guard is always a different animal with those type of things. Um, for the active duty, it would be very vital. Um, from my own personal experience, I would say, say I had to go to the dental office and then I would go to the mental health clinic instead. I would legally be lying to my supervisors, but to keep my own, I guess, privacy about my own health issues. That's what I did. I did that for the, I did that for at least three years until I owned up and just said, I'm going to mental health. That way everybody else would know, Hey, she's going, she doesn't seem crazy. I'm, I think I might try this out. That type of thinking I was at least trying to get them to think about because they didn't see that I was unhappy or depressed either my stuff was also all internal. So once they realized that and found out that more people actually started going to the mental health clinic from what I've noticed, but just that safe word and that code word would be perfect for soldiers and sailors. Yeah, absolutely. And to also avoid retaliation or criticism. Uh, I remember when I hurt my uh, foot and just to fast forward, let you know, I've had three surgeries since because of this one little slight injury, but all they did is gave me what we call ranger pills, which is basically Advil, just pop the pill and get back out there. 
So yeah. over time, I could barely walk. And then fast forward, now I got all these disabilities with my feet with three different surgeries on both feet. So again, I get, <laughs> I can't express how important it is this is because I was afraid to tell my chain of command because first thing they do is they start criticizing you. You can't hack it or you're, you're they look at you differently. They think you're just making up stuff because you're trying to get out of whatever it is that's, you know, that you're required to do. Um, so let's go to the, there's a, there's, I, I, I found this to be one of the, probably the most, um, I try, I want to make sure I use the right word, but most impressive things that Brandon did. Um, and it's also very sad because he had to do this, but I, I, we talked about this prior to the show was how he communicated to you. And I say from the grave, because literally he apparently knew that this was important and he's no longer with us, but he asked you to expose the issues and go at, well, hold people accountable. I should say go after them, but let's hold people accountable. Um, I was impressed with just the foresight and the leadership and the strength from Brandon to ask you that. Um, how did you feel as parents when you read that? And then give us a little insight on, you know, when you finally read this, the reaction to this, and then I know you had anger. So clearly there was that motivation too. But to, to know that Brandon is actually seeking you to go, you know, to help him in this because he's sort of making that decision to do what he did to kickstart this. That's how important it was apparently. So talk to us about that if you can. Well, start out with that. I want to point out something to you that uh, they had the letter and they wouldn't what? give it to us. They wouldn't give us the letter. And I called and say, asked myself, I argue with them and I explained to them, that's my property. He's dead or his estate, it's mine. They said, yeah, whatever. So I did something. And let me tell you, I, I, the way this turned out, I kid you not, I did not expect it to go this way. I said, we're in the process of burying him. What if his wishes are different in his letter? That's right. Next thing I know, NCIS and Yuma, that's the closest to us. So the agents there want to set up an appointment, come out here. They bring the letter to us. The very next day. Yeah. And it wasn't open, was it? What was that? It wasn't open, was it? Was the letter in a Yeah, it's open. They opened it. Oh, yeah. They had already opened it, made copies, done all their stuff. And we didn't even see the envelope. Right. They just... They just gave us the sheets. And wow. so they had us read it. They, you know, they gave us some privacy. We read it. It's the first sentence. If you look at it, it says he wanted to be cremated. Not the I, first sentence. Well, in there. And I never dreamed that that was his wishes. We were burying him. Yeah. And, and then he said he didn't want to be in a national cemetery. He was going in the national cemetery here in Arizona. He was being buried. All this was set up. And I had no idea. That's why they gave me the letter. I played a card not even knowing that I was going to read this. I, I had no idea. But I will tell you, it's the saddest letter I've ever read. And on top of that, um, I will tell you this, too. It's not complete. When I say that to you is here's the rationale. Brandon left five letters. A lot of people don't know this. They are posted. I'm just letting you know there were five letters. 
he left three letters for three people in the command that were women that were supposedly his good friends. They were 10 pages each. I want you to think about that. He was in a command for two years. He leaves them 10 pages each. So he leaves them 30 pages of letters and he leaves us five. Okay, that's one indicator. Right. The next is if you read this letter and study it, you will see this is two separate letters. It starts and stops. There's the middle is missing. What is missing from this is Brandon is extremely intelligent. You know, that smartest man in the room thing, trust me, it pertained to him when it came to natural smartness. I'm not talking rocket science here. And they, he had in their names, dates, all that stuff, trust me. He had all kinds of information for us. They kept it. And they have it, never seen it. I'm telling you it exists. I know it exists. The other thing is these three girls he leaves the letters to, let me give you a course of events. So we call one of them and she talks to us. And then we call her the next day to get some more information. She, the first thing out of her mouth, she says, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going with the command on this one. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she hangs up. So that's not a friend. Okay. 10 pages. The other two were deployed. We got a hold of them as soon as we could, and we appeared to get a hold of them before anybody else. They knew Brandon was dead, but they specifically on the phone, we told them what the other friend did, and they said they would never do something like that. Sure enough, NCIS flies out the day before they pull in the port on a helo and talks to them. They pull in. They never spoke to us again. Their statements, all three of them, we, if you were to read them, they're posted most of them, I think all three of them say at one point or another, I don't even know why he left us a 10-page letter. We didn't even know him that well. We have texts beyond texts. We have hundreds of texts. Believe me, they were friends. Trust me. Um, ironically, where it gets weird is, and again, there's nothing wrong with what I'm about to say. These women were gay. And, and so Brandon, again, good friends, accepting people for who they are. That's Brandon. And the command didn't like them very much, apparently, from what we're gathering, but Brandon sure did. And one of them went to alcohol rehab, and he was the only one to visit that person in alcohol rehab, the only person out of that command um, to visit that person. And the two that were deployed, he was sending them care packages on his own with uh, snacks, all kinds of stuff, paying with his own money to send these out. He was the only one doing this and he was sending it to them, asking for nothing in return ever, just doing it because he knew that it would make their day. And he says that in text and stuff. And are they um, still, are they still active duty right now? The oh yeah. And they all, they know what happened. They're not telling the truth. I I've said this and I'll stand by this and uh, you learn more about this someday all this is going to take a turn for the better Absolutely. when it does. Right. I will hold them accountable for lying, yeah. um, for obstructing justice. They will be held accountable. I don't care what happens to them. I even look up and tell Brandon that I said, I'm sorry, Brandon. I said, if you don't want this to happen, I, I say out loud, then you make them come forward. Well, they ain't came forward. It's been two and a half years. I don't believe they're gonna. Um, the sad part is I, for the life of me, other than being rewarded with good evals, advancement, and awards, why would you defend a commanding officer? You're an idiot to defend a commanding officer. I'm sorry. They are no relation to you. 
they are going to look out for their own well-being and they'll throw you under the bus so bad. If they came forward right now, you know what that CEO would say? I can't believe they would tell this information. Had I known this, I would have. <laughs> That's exactly what he would say. And I'm going to punish them for it. That's exactly what he would do. And we told them this. They don't believe us, I guess. But we'll see. Um, but the one thing that the reason we found out later through an anonymous call was um, the commanding officer put a gag order on his entire command. They, he told them if anybody talked to us or the media that he would consider it mutiny and throw them into Leavenworth prison. And we think that is why nobody has come forward. And not only did he do it after Brandon's death, he did it a year later in 2019 when articles were coming out about right. Brandon. They had a heads up on the articles because uh, they were asked for quotes. And right. um, that was even funny because, they, again, we had no say in this, but they asked for quotes. The reporter did. We had met with her in Washington when we were there. And they gave her quotes and they lied in those quotes. These are factual lies. They say they invited us to memorial service. They did not invite us. This is factual, backed by the people that came to the door to tell us our son is dead, who makes the travel arrangements and everything. Um, second is uh, the, so they gave the quotes for the article and what happened is there was two articles. Someone else was doing an article. That article came out before the other one. So that article came out. They thought, hey, we gave a quote. We knew about it. We briefed the command. Well, two days later, the actual article they knew about came out. That caught them by surprise. From military.com. <laughs> they got nailed right there. But again, this was not planned. We had no say in the matter. It just happened that way. But they didn't know what to do. Uh, so um, they... Uh, but that is what they did. They gave out a mutiny order. Now, my comeback on the mutiny order is simple. The, uh, I can honestly tell you, not that I'm proud of this, but I, there have been things I've witnessed that are wrong that I couldn't do anything about. But I haven't honestly reported things, okay? You can do it and make it not look like you, okay? I've done it. But I will tell you this, and I'll stand behind this to no end. No command I was ever in ever had a debt. It's not because of me, because deaths are rare, or they used to be. Um, and, but if somebody would have died from this stuff I'm talking about, I would personally turn them in and sign my name to it. I will not. When somebody is dead, they are dead. They ain't coming back. And these people, if they killed somebody, they need to be held accountable because they will continue to kill and kill and kill again and again. They won't stop. And that's why uh, that mutiny order, I know it scared all the people. I get it. But they could have anonymously contacted uh, through many sources. They could have called right. the press, the news, uh, IG, NCIS, the FBI. I don't care. Somebody, anybody, right. president, whoever they want to go to, they could have gone to. And they did. So speaking of press. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Ms. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, let's say, speaking of the press, I know the Stars and Stripes, uh, as of August of 2020, you know, they reported that Congress is getting support to help in this fight. But I also know that you guys have some advocates that are helping you, uh, Representative Seth 
Moulton, I believe. He's a Democrat out of Massachusetts. So he introduced this bill. So what, help us understand a little bit about his what he's doing to help you. And Stephanie, you being a legislative analyst, you know, elaborate a little bit about how that goes about. Because we have listeners who they may have thoughts of visions or understandings of what they need to do. And sometimes, you know, our politicians don't get the best of uh, recognition, you know, in height of, you know, certain, uh, you know, people that we see who don't always do the right thing. But we also have those who are out there fighting and trying to do what is right. So how did uh, Representative Seth get involved and what are some of the things he's challenged with? Okay, for, for Congressman uh, Seth Moulton, what Patrick and I did in 2019, we, I scheduled a bunch of appointments with Congress and, and, and uh, senators and, and House of Representatives. And the ones that we had actual meetings with, because we decided we were going to go there and we we're going to, you know, meet with them. We, um, we went there in April, May, early May. Um, with these appointments that we had. And Congressman Seth Moulton's office was the first office we went to. Um, we had never been to the House of Representatives or the Senate ever. So the way I had everything scheduled, it was, you know, one Senate and then, in, you know, an hour, hour and a half later, we were at the House, not even knowing the separation of the the uh, capital in between them. So we were running back and forth. It was kind of comical if you think about right, it, but right. um, our first appointment was with uh, Congressman Seth Moulton and we met with his, I think her, I think she was a legislative lady, um, Christine. She was awesome. Um, she could follow the story. She knew the story. She could follow it. And we, um, so we met with her, we met with her for about what, half hour. And then we went to, you know, our other appointments. Well, before the end of the day, she called us and asked if Seth Moulton could be a sponsor. And she goes, I, I understand that you have all these other appointments because we were very, very um, truthful about who we were going to meet. And, and we told her we have several other people that we're going to meet with. And she said, if you want him to be, just tell them that we're taking the lead on this. And, you know, we were like, well, we're not going to tell her no, because we don't know <laughs> what's in store for us. So we were like, absolutely. So, so um, that was done. Now all we needed was, you know, on the Senate side, but we didn't know that. Right. Um, so that's how they became involved. Um, she, oh, go ahead. So, so I have to ask, did you know anything about Seth? Because it sounds like you said you're just kind of getting out there and you're advocating. You look, did you know anything about his background or his position or his role? No, oh. and, and that's the funny thing. Um, I, when, when we decided to take this to, uh, to uh, D.C., the legislation, um, all I did was just, all I did was contact um, the Armed Forces Services Committee. And that's who I targeted. And um, no, we had no idea what his background is, was. Um, no, and making this stuff further, this is actually embarrassing. Yeah. I, 
I went to, after I got out, I went to, after I retired, I went to Arizona State University and I got a degree. The reason I got the degree was uh, so Brandon couldn't use the excuse that I didn't have a degree and I, you know, made it through life. So I, cause I wanted him to go to college really bad. So I, I ended up getting two degrees. One of them was political science. The other one was communication. So Terry sets up all these appointments. I don't think anything of it. You know, we buy a new car, we hop in the car, we go to DC, literally we drove. And so uh, Congressman Moulton's office is one of them that's funny. I know you know what, what you know, but here's where it even got funny. This one is more embarrassing. Is uh, So Senator came, we go to his office and they don't even know why we're there. They, we don't have to be listed. Next thing we know, two staff members walk in, they said, come with us. And we did. They took us down to the tram. They, they took us to the Capitol. He was at the Capitol voting. And he, they took us to his office there. And he was running up and down voting in between talking to us. And he spent a couple hours with mm-hmm. us. And he literally knew everything. And, of course, that was his area in Norfolk, Virginia, is his area. And he wanted to help. They opened up doors. They even walked us. I mean, they took us back in the tram, back to where we were, walked, showed us the door. They walked us to the door we needed to get back. We were taking the subway. And uh, the, uh, but where it gets funny is this one's a bad one on me, my part. I had no idea when I was talking to him and after I talked to him, it came up later that he was, he ran with Hillary Clinton. <laughs> as the vice president i had no clue i i kid you not but see they taught us in political science no one knows who the vice president is. yeah right <laughs> uh, they did teach us that it's the first class the question in every class i attended they always asked that and of course nobody knew i did i kept my mouth shut after several of them i'd gone to but in that case i had no idea that he ran with hillary that that was embarrassing but that yes he was a veteran we did not know that though I didn't do any background. I didn't. Well, you know, don't be embarrassed by this because, yeah. you know, there's a huge, and I don't know the data, but I read it somewhere that there's a huge population of U.S. citizens. I say that because we have an immigration thing where you're trying to become a U.S. and they put you through all this training and testing and all that, and you have to study. But U.S. citizens, we, we, we're a little on the lower side of understanding. But that's exempt from Stephanie because Stephanie being a legislative analyst, she's all over it. Stephanie, talk about um, the importance of having this relationship with Senator Kane and Representative Seth. I mean, that's pretty huge. And how is that, you think, the momentum will be for us as a, as to, to really challenge this forward? Well, it is very important. And it, honestly, I've, I've, I've made those missteps before when I started out. <laughs> I met the Secretary of the Army without knowing who he was at a cocktail party. He just said, wow. hey, my name is John white hair guy in a blue suit. And I went back to my army reserve center. They had the wrong picture under his name. Oh, and that's oh. the reason why I didn't recognize him. Oh my. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Those things happen. And, um, but we just got to take them with stride. Um, it is very important to have the relationships with the representatives. Um, and I, I've talked with, um, we've talked before about having the relationship with Senator Mark Kelly who is the new um, Arizona Senator, which we're kind of excited about. I am too, because he's a former astronaut and me being from Florida, I'm actually pretty excited about that. Um, and a lot of veterans and current military doesn't under, don't, I guess, 
put much weight to it that you can use your First Amendment right to build those relationships mm -hmm. with your representatives and senators to make change. Too many people in the military, they feel so small, little Joe Schmo, that they can't do anything about it. But when you do communicate the issues and try to provide solutions to the problems, or at least spotlight the problems in the military, um, those senators and representatives, it gives them a chance to make the change. And it is slow. It is very slow. And what we've spoken before, um, the bill that uh, the Brandon Act was in the last NDA, NDAA, but was removed at the last minute before the House and Senate um, overruled President Trump's uh, veto. So it wasn't the only thing that was taken off. The Military Justice Improvement Act was also removed from the NDAA as well. And Do you so, know what the acronym means, Stephanie? Hmm? The acronym was a MDAA? Um, National Defense Authorization Act, I believe. Okay. So, right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but at least that's the one, that's, that's what good. I remember off the top. It sounds good. It sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, both. Uh, so we will have to work on getting those reintroduced since the new congressional session started this uh, last month. So we have two years to get it introduced and submitted. So that's something that we have to encourage all veterans and current military to try to exercise their First Amendment right to address their issues to Congress. Okay. So what I'm hearing and what I've read, the Brandon Act was not part of the Senate's version of the annual defense legislation. Mm -hmm. And it's uncertain whether lawmakers will actually decide to keep the measure when members of the House and Senate convene to negotiate the final bill. Um, so if this does not go through, what are your next steps? Um, what, what's next? I hope you have been enjoying the show. Well, do not go anywhere just yet. We have a continuing episode with Dr. Bryant Speaks.